Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Animals to the Max podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. As always, Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for taking the time to give me your ears to listen to the show. I'm going to just cut to the chase. We have such a fascinating guest on the show today. We have certified vet technician Danielle Kaufman. So we met on a wine tour and Danielle actually sent me a DM message of her and a 14-foot Nile crocodile. They were actually amputating this Nile crocodile's foot. I was so intrigued with her vet work, and come to find out she has worked at some of the top facilities in the world. I thought, oh my goodness, Danielle, you have to come on the Animals to the Max podcast, and she was just a great guest. She has just a wealth of information for any of you who want to pursue a career in the veterinary field, and maybe you don't want to become a vet. Maybe you want to become a vet technician, or maybe you just want to work with exotics. She gives so many amazing tips. She's worked at some of the top facilities, including Disney, SeaWorld, and the New England Aquarium. We just talk about a variety of different topics. Some of the ones that really stick out to me are her talking about fish and putting fish under anesthesia. That is correct. How do you put a fish under anesthesia? How do you operate on Finding Nemo without hurting the fish? You guys, I learned so much. We also go into what it was like working with an animal that she grew up always wanting to work with, and that is the Florida manatee, and what it was like working with these big mammals found off the coast of Florida. We also go into SeaWorld, and we, you guys, we have to talk about it. We go into Blackfish, her thoughts on Blackfish, what it was like working at SeaWorld after Blackfish. She worked there from 2015 on, what it was like working with killer whales, including one of the whales that was responsible for killing Don Brancho, the trainer at SeaWorld. So we have a very interesting discussion about SeaWorld, our thoughts on people who are anti-SeaWorld, anti-captivity, a bunch of stuff. You're going to find this really, really fascinating. At the end of the interview, she also gives you some amazing tips if you are wanting to pursue a career in this field. So once again, I had such a good time talking to Danielle and, you know, I really love providing insight for you, the listener. I love giving you guys the behind the scenes, the, the, the nitty gritty of, you know, what it's like working in this field because it's not always sunshine and roses. There's a lot of uh, things that go into this and it takes a lot of hard work, especially if you want to work with animals. Before we get to that, as always, please make sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes. Please make sure to leave a rating and a review. Uh, Five stars would be amazing. And let us know what episode you enjoy. We've been receiving a lot of personal messages from new people who are listening to the show. Just want to give a shout out to Pipa. I think it's Pipa or is it Pippa? Age 15 from Utah. Thank you for listening to the show. And she is uh, working hard right now at a farm working with horses trying to get her experience up because one day she wants to become a zookeeper so Pipa thank you so much for listening to the show we will continue to highlight people who work in the animal care field so continue to work continue to shovel that poo 
because it will seriously get you places. So thank you once again for listening. If you want to support the show, head on over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash animals to the max for behind the scenes information on what's coming up with the show. And it helps support the show. And you just donate a couple bucks every month and that helps the show with new equipment, web hosting fees, all of that type of good stuff. And if you want even more of the animals and I, I encourage you to check out our YouTube channel. Just type in Corbin Maxi on YouTube and we have some awesome, awesome, awesome videos of our animals. If you're trying to kill time during this time, please make sure to go check that out as well. Okay, with that said, we are going to talk to the very, very fascinating Danielle Kaufman. Here we go. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. I am so excited. So we randomly met on a wine tour. <laughs> yes, yes. How I meet all my good friends, really. <laughs> right. So we met uh, on our wine tour. If you don't know this, my wife and I, we also own a wine business called Snake River Wine Tours. And you were one of our clients. And long story short, a few days after your tour, I got a DM on Instagram. And you were like, hey, this might be kind of weird, but we met on the wine tour. <laughs> and I just want to let you know, I've, you know, blah, 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 blah. And you sent me a photo of a 14 foot Nile crocodile. And I could not respond faster. And I was like, oh my God, we have to get you on the show. Yes. One of my friends sent me your Instagram afterwards. And she's like, did you know that Corbin does all these things? And I was like, no. And I was like, is it weird if I message him? I think I'm going to message him. And I saw on your story, you were moving your alligator and you kind of had a post that was like, oh, has anyone moved an alligator before? And I was like, Oh, well, this one time. And oh, my yeah, God. Yeah. It was um, a Nile crocodile. And that picture was from um, actually a guest perspective um, at one of the facilities I was working at. And the Nile crocodile needed a leg amputation. Um, one of its buddies kind of accidentally went for a chomp when it was going for a piece of food. And um, yeah, so it needed surgery. So it came in, had um, a proper amputation just so it could heal healthy and everything. And um, yeah, I was out that day. I was an intern at the time, so I didn't get to do anything too cool. But I got to be there, which is awesome. That is so cool. You completely won up to me because, I mean, I <laughs> I love my alligators, right? But I mean, a 14-foot Nile croc, I mean, the photo is just, I'll have to include it in the show notes so listeners can see. It is it's very, very impressive. And I, and you just, and you just messaged me kind of some more of the stuff that you've done in your career, working at various top, top, you know, notch facilities. And I just thought, man, you're the perfect guest for the show. Oh, thanks. Yes. And so we have a lot of people who want to become vet techs, who, who want to get into veterinary medicine, who listen to the show. So let's just go into it, your career. Did you always grow up wanting to, you know, be a vet or be a vet technician? Um, yeah, kind of. So I always wanted to work with animals. I knew that. And then um, when I was 12, I actually went to Florida. And I went to Disney and SeaWorld. And I saw a manatee for the first time. Um, I had never heard of them. I didn't know anything about them. And it, they like literally blew my mind. And I learned while I was there, um, throughout the great like guest education, that manatees don't have any natural predators, that they were Back then, they were like heavily endangered, 
And it was all because of humans. And that literally like broke my world. Mm -hmm. And I decided I wanted to become a marine biologist. And um, so I I did. I went to Texas A&M at Galveston and did my marine marine biology degree. I was originally from Boston. So I um, went down there, loved it. When I started school, I thought I wanted to like do that and then get a master's and get a PhD and like write all these help write like legislature that like helped protect manatees and then I realized I like super hated writing and (laughs) I didn't want to do that and I I didn't necessarily want to do the research route because I again hated writing um but I wanted to do something and I wanted to be super hands-on so I went I never really wanted to be a veterinarian like that wasn't really on my radar I just wanted to like be someone that helped like rescued and saved and like released manatees and then I kind of found that like vet tech spot which is I'm extremely fortunate honestly I mean I've worked very hard but I've gotten very lucky because it's such a small field being able to be a vet tech at like a zoo or aquarium and get to work with these animals but it was very specifically like what I wanted to do and um yeah it was it was crazy. So I, that was my goal, go to school in Texas, become a vet tech, move to Florida, save the manatees. Um, and I got to do that. I got to work with um, manatees for a few years in Florida. Um, I, I left, I finished school. Um, and I got an internship at Disney. Um, my first six months out of school, I worked, um, as an intern in their aquatic veterinary hospital. And then I was so lucky I got a second internship at Animal Kingdom, um, working with like their wildlife program and kind of getting to help out with their um, exotic collection. I didn't get to do much then, but I got to um, be around and assist the other vet techs and mostly learn. Um, And yeah, so since then I've worked at the New England Aquarium in Boston and um, I went back and worked at... Uh, in Florida, and I worked in SeaWorld, and I've traveled to Central America to help manatees too. Whoa, whoa, wait! Okay, you have done so much, and you're so young. You're you look you look you're very very young right, to do I'm, all this stuff. Yeah, I'm 30, um, but I got my first internship when I was 24 at Disney, and I was 25 when I got my job at SeaWorld, which was my like dream like my lifelong dream and I got it at 25 and I could not handle it (laughs) whoa okay so let's go back because a lot of so so much so a lot of people apply for these internships and a lot of people get discouraged I get emails all the time from people who are like I didn't get accepted and I've just applied to a million internships yeah did you get right in is that why you're saying you're lucky like did you get right yes oh I I got right in and while yeah, it's kind of weird because people are like, oh, my gosh, that that's amazing. And obviously, very amazing. Um, and I did. I got in. I got accepted the first time. Um, but I also, like, did a lot of things prior. Like, when I was in um, school for marine biology, my best friend and I would uh, volunteer with the Texas Marine Mammal Stranding Network. Oh. And we would, we would literally, we would go take the overnight shifts. Like, we would take like the 3 a.m. to 8 a.m. shift and study. And um, it's essentially they would have rehab dolphins there that need a 24-hour watch. And all we did was take like observation notes. We didn't didn't do anything cool there really. We watched the dolphins. We recorded all their feedings, all their behaviors, 
things like that. And we would study and then we would leave that and go straight to class and take our exams. Um, so we, we did things like that. And then when I was in vet tech school, I went to Blinn College and they work in conjunction with the Texas A&M vet school. Mm-hmm. And the vet school there has their own zoological medicine um, department. And so they see tons of things. They see like you know, wildlife, lots of birds, people's exotic pets, but then they also see like tigers and lions and bears. Um, so I did a little like rotation there. And then I was just like, Hey, can I please stay? Like, will you keep me? Can I volunteer and just like shadow? So I did that the whole time I was in school too. Um, and I, I just did all the volunteering. (laughs) Yeah. So you worked your butt off. You didn't just apply. I mean, you had a fantastic resume. Yeah, my, it's kind of funny when I go, um, I move a lot because my husband's um, job sends us everywhere. And every time I interview for a new job, they're like, I don't understand this. And I'm like, me either. <laughs> like, yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. So I, I just I did a, I did a lot. And then I think I mean, I think my interview went really well. And it's also like I'm just very passionate and like aquatics. I, I got lucky that I figured out semi-early in college like exactly the route I wanted to take Mm -hmm. because then I fully like catered towards that like and having my marine biology degree obviously like helps me a lot there's a lot of people that are like I want to work with animals and maybe they go to vet tech school and then they live somewhere that doesn't have a zoo or doesn't have anything so they Mm -hmm. don't get a lot of that experience um and then, yeah, I just kind of had, I think, a little perfect storm there. Well, you hit a couple really important topics for young listeners, for sure, because you said that you and your friend volunteered and you did something like the most undesirable shift at 3 a.m. just taking, I mean, let's just be honest, observation notes are pretty darn boring if it's at, the, <laughs> at 3 o'clock in the morning, right? But you, yeah. But you, you took like this undesirable shift and you took every opportunity. And that's what I, I cannot stress enough to people you have to do that. You have to put in, you have to pay your dues, you know, and that's, yeah, it, ju- it just shows. I mean, that, it gave you so much experience leading up to Disney. Oh, for sure. And that's, I get a lot of people that message me that um, are, you know, like nieces of friends I have that have heard things I've done and they um, want to know. And some of them actually go to the school now that I used to go to. And it just gets even more competitive. I'm like, it's just like not enough. You have to do that. And then exactly get your hands into whatever you can. And it's never going to be fun. Like I have cleaned so much poop off of things in my career. Um, and you just, um, you just need to be around. It's good to meet people. It's good to learn and see and actually figure out if this is something you want to do. It's not always very glamorous. Mm. Um, and yeah, I got, I got really lucky. And then just animals aside, I, I volunteered at like the Humane Society um, wow. in Galveston as well while I was in school and got hours like just literally doing like kennel work and then helping their like obedience trainer, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, training comes in huge in zoos and aquariums and medical um, practices. So just trying to like be around and um, kind of bug people enough to let me like help them. Like kind of that was my intention when I messaged you. I was just like, hey, after COVID, if you ever need help like doing this or that, I'm free. 100%. You 100% can come out and see the animals. (laughs) And I mean, you could. Yeah, I just I 
Yeah, I'm just still thinking of that photo you sent me of the crop. How <laughs> cool. And just all of your experience. So listeners, if you're young and you want to go into this field, or even if you're old and you have a new change of career path, I mean, do, you know, pay your dues, take every opportunity. Are there any other tips you can give someone who is applying for an internship during the interview process? Because it sounds like you nailed it because you've gotten these top positions. Um. Yeah, I think... I think people, um, they just want someone that has a view like beyond this, like, and they want to see that you've worked hard for it. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I talked a lot about what I've done. I mean, I've had a really long, like lifelong desire to do animals. And I think, um, focusing more on like their zoos, like conservation and rehab programs. I mean, that's what I'm passionate about anyway. So I think that helps. But there's very much a difference, I think, in the interview process of someone that wants to work there so they can, like, play with a dolphin versus, like, people that actually are there to do conservation work and raise awareness and really help the global populations, um, which, you know, once you're working in places, that really narrows those people out. But when you have the people first coming out of, of school or trying to snag, like, internships, like, out of high school or things like that, um, it's obviously being around animals and exotic things are cool, but you need to like get past that. I love that. Look at the bigger picture. So secretly mm -hmm. you could be like, man, I just want to get in the pool with a freaking dolphin, but don't <laughs> tell them that you can just <laughs> keep your cool yeah. and just be, be like, shelf. yeah, keep your cool and just talk about that is so smart because I think you do get people who just want to hop in a pool with the dolphin or a lot of people in zoos just want to a lot, you know, the most competitive parts in a zoo are usually big cats, elephants, or primates. Yeah. So because they're cool. They're and really they and charismatic and amazing. Yeah. But look at the bigger picture. That's a great piece of advice. Mm-hmm. And be open to all opportunities. So you go, okay, so you go to Disney first, right? Mm-hmm. And Animal Kingdom, let's just talk about Animal Kingdom. If you have not been, it is fantastic. It is one of the most... I mean, I don't know. I've and actually, my wife and I are watching. Have you seen their show? The oh my gosh, on, yes, on, on Disney Plus. Oh my it's god, it's so good. And I know everyone like on the vet team, so it's super amazing to see them. Yeah. So if you're listening and haven't checked it out, it's on Disney Plus. What is it called? Mm -hmm. Secrets of Animal Kingdom, or it's something. It's something like that, right? It's something like that. I know. I feel bad. I don't know the exact title. It's something like that. It is so good. And the last episode we watched two nights ago was with the Nile Crocs, mm -hmm. and I was like, oh my god, oh, cool. <laughs> and I was like. I'm going to talk to Danielle soon about them, but what was that like working at one of the top zoological facilities in the world? Um, it's super cool. I mean, it's amazing in general. Like when you go there, they have a huge guest window so you can see into the veterinary um, treatment area. So mm -hmm. guests that get to come, they get to see exactly what is done. Um, and there's people that stand out front, educators that explain what's happening, um, that kind of give you warnings if things are going to get a little bloody or this or that. And then a lot of the times the vets or the keepers on the other side of the window come on and talk to you about the animals and the procedures. Um, so it's, it's really great. Everyone can see everything, anything from, you know, a rehab little rescue gopher tortoise to like a tiger getting its physical exam and like dental cleaning, like is all um, out for show and people can just come up and walk up and see it, 
which is kind of, that's like how I fell in love is I, you know, I walked up, I didn't see a veterinary procedure, but I walked up on them like taking care of manatees when I was 12. And I was like, what is happening? Yeah. The education. So when you were at Disney, did you go over to Epcot and work at the, the ocean exhibit? Is that where you got to see manatees? The first... That was my yeah. That's where I saw them. Yep. Yeah, so they it's the seats at Epcot. Um, or with Nemo and friends, and that one is at Epcot. So I did my first internship there. Um, and I, I mean, as an intern, I mostly I just got to help out the team, and um, they taught me so much. And they have a, a really amazing tank. They have the second biggest um, tank in the country, and it's huge. And we got to go down and talk to guests. Same thing. I lo- I just loved nervous about this podcast but I'm not nervous there and I used to love talking to people and there's um you get to go out and explain things and tell people how you know we can do surgery on fish and anesthetize sharks and things that people would never imagine and that facilities like this they gave they give the same care they would to an elephant um to a seahorse yeah. And are you talking mm-hmm. about that big, that big open seas exhibit, right? Yeah. That mm-hmm. thing's yeah. huge. Yes. Huge. And huge. is huge. And that is where, do they still have a porpoise? Didn't they have a dolphin there or a porpoise? What was it? I was there a long yeah, time ago. Yeah. When I was there, they had four dolphins. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then the manatees are in a separate area, correct? They have a separate area. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So let's just talk about manatees really quick because they are so cool. So I <laughs> did an internship I, at SeaWorld. It was it was more of like a it's like a SeaWorld adventure camp when I was 15, which was the coolest thing in San Diego. And I remember we went to go see the manatees and feed them romaine lettuce. And it was the yes. it was the coolest <laughs> thing. And they were like, now don't touch the manatees as you're feeding. You know what I mean? You know, like yes. a winky face. And I'm like, oh, I'm touching this manatee. It was the coolest thing. It was amazing. <laughs> I love manatees so much. Yes. Um, the first time. I ever touched manatee, I think, was when I was learning to draw blood on one. Oh, man. And I, it was, like, just, like, the highlight of my life a little bit. <laughs> They're so peaceful and just, yeah, let's, can you explain what they feel like to someone who's never touched a manatee? So, they have these little sensory whiskers all mm-hmm. over their body. So, they do have, like, a bit of hair. And then if a lot of them, um, from rehab, when they come in, they have, like, algae growing on them as well. But mm-hmm. they are... Would, I've, I've never described a manatee. So to I would honestly, they're kind of hairy. It was like hairy, <laughs> kind of like an elephant. It reminded me of. Yeah, but which you, is their closest living land mammal, land relative. Yes, but then I'm thinking, if someone's listening in the car, well, oh crap! I've never touched an elephant before. <laughs> that doesn't <laughs> that doesn't help out anything. Oh gosh, <laughs> that yeah. does not help anything. It's like it's rougher mm-hmm. than you would anticipate, and sometimes like you kind of get pieces of their skin that kind of yeah. kind of fall off. So they're, you can kind of get like a, just a smear of manatee on you. That's nice. Now, <laughs> mine, I remember it kind of being bristly. Does that ring a bell kind of? Sometimes, yeah. It depends where because they have more concentration mm-hmm. of the right bristly. And um, it could be a little bristly, I guess. Okay. They're hard to describe. They're, they're interesting creatures. They're so cool. My dream is to swim with them down in, I think it's Crystal Springs in Florida. That just sounds like... Oh, um, and Crystal River. Oh, Crystal River. Hello. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. They have Crystal River and Hamosa Springs. Those are really big areas. So I did that for the first time after I'd already been living in Florida for like a, like a while, like maybe eight months. Uh-huh. And it was, it was the first thing on my docket and I didn't quite get there. And when I went, 
I was so excited and we were snorkeling and yeah. they were below us. And the first time I saw one, I pretty much like screamed into my snorkel <laughs> and like I swallowed and inhaled like so much water that I had to like get on the boat and like cough it up and oh, then, no. like, carry on. Yes, I <laughs> I was overjoyed and I and I like couldn't handle my excitement. Like I just like <laughs> hugged my arms and I had a we had a pool noodle because again, you're not you're supposed to just kind of be there. Mm-hmm. observing you're not supposed to get in their way or touch them or anything like that and I had was like trying not to flail with excitement so I was just hugging a pool noodle watching these manatees and it was amazing did you see any difference between the wild ones and the ones you worked with at Disney no not really um, and I didn't do much with the ones um at Disney, they kind of their own special animal care team. Um, but I did get to be around more of the ones at SeaWorld. And um, not really, they're, they're curious. I mean, they're people that don't know, they're, they're very gentile, they're large. And so they can be very intimidating if people, I know a lot of people that are from Florida, and they're like, Oh, the first time I saw them, like, I freaked out. And they're, they're very gentle. They um, they just go about their business, but they can be curious. So a lot of times they will come up to you and they'll want to like chew on your shorts or chew on your foot or something like that. Um, but these ones, they're the ones in the springs. I think are very used to people being around. Um, so they didn't pay any mind to us and just kept on keeping on. That is so cool. And out of curiosity, I've never done this. Do can you just can anyone do it, or do you have to go through like a like a program and pay for it, or can you just hop in the springs and go swim with manatees? Um, so we did it through a program, and that's definitely advised. I actually don't know um, anymore. Kind of like the laws are. I know people do get in the water because they have houses that are like on you know on sure. the water, and manatees swim by there and. Mm. I think they just have to follow the laws of um, mm-hmm. like wake zones and not touching and things like that. And I'm not positive, but it's so easy to get a company and that's definitely like preferred. They know all the rules. They know mm-hmm. where to go. They can take you on the boat. Um, they're familiar with the manatees. They, some of them are regulars. They know their names. They can tell you, um, you know, this is this one's cap and you get to learn about it that way. That is so cool. So, okay. So back to, so you're at Disney and then do you move on to, you decide to apply for a paying position and that is at SeaWorld? Is that where you, what you do? I went next to the New England Aquarium. Okay. So what was I, that about? Let's talk about that. Yeah, they had, um, it was kind of perfect. My, my now husband and I, um, we were dating long distance throughout both of our careers early on and um, the Ningen Aquarium had a six-month um, kind of maternity leave cover as a veterinary biologist. And um, my best friend that I did marine biology with was actually working in their research department up there. And I was like, oh, that'd be fun. And I'm, I'm originally from Boston. So, um, yeah, I, have, I applied to that. And I got that job. So I went a couple weeks after I finished my internship at Disney. And I worked there um, part-time because, again, Got to take what you can get in this field Um, as a veterinary biologist with their team. um, And that was super great. I've always loved, and I mean, I grew up going to the New England Aquarium and um, they do so much sea turtle rescue rehab. um, And I worked there kind of the exact off season Mm. um, of the sea turtle rehab. um, But they have a facility down in Quincy, Massachusetts, and they, they see hundreds. Sometimes in one season, they see hundreds of sea turtles um, from cold stress. 
and they do so much. So that was like a huge honor to get to go and work there. And I, um, I helped out with just things like, um, quarantining, like animals that were coming in, just general health checks, went around with the veterinarians. Um, I got to do a cool thing, um, where I think my, um, friend actually came up to watch cause they have a big tank that has an opening up top and people can walk up there and see. And we had a stingray that needed some injections and the Aquarius brought the stingray up and I actually got in a wetsuit and got in, in the top of the tank and walked along their like fake coral sure. and gave, um, the stingray its daily injections there. And there was like all these people. And so someone got to tell them what was going on and how we even, you know, we treat the, the stingrays, even if though they need long courses of antibiotics or medication or anything like that. Um, so yeah, so that was super, super fun. That's amazing. Do you ever pinch yourself? I mean, you're in a giant tank giving an injection to a stingray. You have a bunch of people watching you on the other side of the glass. Are you like, what am I doing right now? <laughs> Pretty much every day I've worked at those facilities. Like, what am I even doing? Um, yeah, it's, it's surreal. I'm extremely grateful. Um, it, it really is mind blowing. Some of the most amazing animals, animals I've loved like my whole life. And then I get to, to help and I, I love sharks and stingrays. So getting to do things like that and actually teach people about it and teach people about stingrays and you don't have to be, um, they're not big, scary mm -hmm. animals, same with sharks and that we're able to handle them and we're able to give them medical treatment safely. Um, it's so great because I just feel like that really goes over people's heads sometimes. Uh-huh. One, yeah, 100%. And how often are you giving sharks and stingrays care? Because, I mean, they're they're technically fish. So I'm just wondering, yeah. like, how – that's a good – I've never asked that. How often are you going oh. in there and giving them injections? Or do they get sick often? So it's – I mean, it super depends. Sure. Um, yeah, there's a lot, of, a, a lot of different things. But, no, I'm pretty much – like as much as it takes slash as much as they can tolerate, because then there's also the issue of stressing animals out. Sure. Um, so there's a lot of animals you don't want to be handling every day or getting them out. But, um, yeah, so there's, uh, sometimes they need antibiotic injections, which typically depending on what it is, depending on the animal, like say the injections, like once every three days, uh -huh. then we'll do that for the entire course of, of treatment because it really is like these the zoos and aquariums, um, it's not just the animals, you know, you can see that have names. Everyone gets their care and everyone cares about these animals. Like um, at, when I worked at SeaWorld, for instance, um, I love fish. Like I love doing fish. I love the sharks and stingrays. So when we have um, like a fi good fish procedure, everyone's like, okay, Danielle, you can get this one and I'll, and I'll go with the vet and, and help out and, and do a lot of these things. Fish, they get a lot of eye enucleations. Okay. So super fun fact. It's a pretty simple surgery. Um, but yeah, cause fish don't have eyelids. Yeah. So a lot of times, whether or not it's an infection or it's like a physical trauma, um, from another animal or swimming into something or anything like that, um, they need, may need to get an eye removed and we, put them under anesthesia. You put a fish and... under anesthesia? Yes. How do you, hold on. Yes. How do you put a, okay. And I, like, is this a big fish or have you done like Any a fish? Have you done a tiny little fish where you've been like, you gotta be kidding yes. me. Yes. Really? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Tiny. Yes. Like okay. a couple grams. Yes, okay. You can do that. 
How do you put a fish under anesthesia? Please enlighten me, Danielle. Yes. um, So fish anesthesia, it's in the water. So it's like an immersion anesthetic. So whether it's like a powder or a liquid that goes in the water and it creates like an anesthetic bath, essentially. So Mm. the fish goes in, they move the water through their gills and it's it's essentially like us breathing an inhalant anesthetic. Oh, okay. Theirs goes in the water. Um, and so they metabolize it that way. And it's, it's very tricky with fish though, because, um, like the longer they sit in the water, the more, um, the deeper they get in their anesthetic. So it's kind of a little bit of like an art in a science where you have it at this percentage, but then you have to balance it. And whether that's adding, clean tank water to oh, dilute it less or simply moving them to like another anesthetic bath. I mean, it's, it's so great. That's one of my favorite things about working in aquatics because there's, isn't really like a handbook on this is exactly what you should do, which is kind of true for most zoo medicine. Um, you have all these really smart, amazing people that kind of learn all of this and, and publish papers and figure it out. So, I mean, then there's some animals where, a fish that we will put in a very deep um, anesthetic bath. And then once they're kind of um, through their excitement phase, we move them to something that's less. And that I think people have just figured that out through like years of trial and error and um, seeing what fits best. And so you totally cater it towards like that type of fish or that type of animal. Have you ever had a fish go belly up? Be honest. Belly up. So I've never had a fish, um, no, die from any anesthesia, but they do get deep and and then you have to move them. You also can help by pretty much like pumping fresh water. So sometimes you need to do surgery on the fish where you have to have them out of the water. Sure. So you have to take them out. And um, uh, I've worked with so many amazing aquarists who have built these really neat, like, anesthetic carts essentially so it's just like a wheelie cart and on top they'll build um like a a slotted tray sort of and it they'll have it so you can like change the angle of it and you have the fish on there and you use things to keep it moist you you put water over it you put like little chamois wet rags over it to keep all of it wet Uh Um, and then you use a series of like pumps from like a bucket that has anesthetic water and you have a pump with a tube that you put in the fish fish's mouth and you can put a little Y port. So it goes towards each set on uh, each side of the gills and you pretty much just pump the anesthetic water into the fish over its gills. Um, and it stays asleep that way. And then you can also change that pump and put it in some fresh water. If you need to lighten the wow. fish or yeah, I mean, it probably sounds very confusing, but that's because it is. <laughs> wow, you just have enlightened me. I never thought of putting fish under anesthesia. I'm just like, imagine you operate on these tiny little tropical fish. That's yeah. how meticulous that must be. Yeah, it's um, it's so cool. And, and really, it's great because I've worked with so many people that just have like years of experience and it's literally, they didn't read this in a book. They just have their own notes and charts of what they have found works best for this and that. And you just are always prepared to either add more, dilute more, move the fish, do whatever, you know, is necessary. Um, And you just do that. We literally have charts where we monitor the anesthesia Uh of fish and their, their depth and 
yeah, it's kind of amazing. That is amazing. Okay, so you are at the New England Aquarium, and then you get a position at SeaWorld? Yeah, so I go back down, and I work at um, two facilities down there. And I um, also start working at, at SeaWorld, which it was great, because that means I was going to get to work with manatees. <laughs> now, what, what, what year was this? This was 2015. 15. Okay, so we yeah. have we have to address the elephant in the room. So that was after the whole blackfish hype and a lot yes. of people oh, against yes. SeaWorld. So I mean, what was it? Can we get your thoughts on that? Because every time I mention SeaWorld in a podcast, it's just like, oh, mm -hmm. like I, I oh, even, I, I would love to address that. Yes, yes. Let's, let's talk about blackfish. <laughs> let's talk about people who maybe aren't a fan of SeaWorld. Let's go into that really quick. Yeah, um, I think it's unfortunate you have one documentary and there it is such a stigma and so so much by so many people that um, actually don't have any information on anything. They're just like, oh, everyone hates that. That's a bad thing for animals. So I hate it too. And I love it. It's the only thing that I will like ruin a good time at a party to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> and because it is, it's so important because it cracks me up because people are like, well, I like this place. I don't like SeaWorld and it blows my mind because being on working on the veterinary team there I can like street or speak straight to it the care is amazing like it mm. is literally the most top-notch care and then on top of what is SeaWorld at I think about 37,000 animals rescued yeah um in rehab and you just not not every facility is able to handle things like that or spend that money. I think on average, um, rehabilitating like an adult manatee costs about forty thousand dollars. Wow. Yeah. So so things like that. Um, the amount of birds, pinnipeds, manatees, sea turtles, and cetaceans, mm -hmm. um, which are whales and dolphins, that are able to be helped because SeaWorld has the facilities and the knowledge of people that care for these animals are already. And are able to to do that. When um when I was there, there were a few animals that were stranded, um, dolphins that were stranded, and were able to be cared for because they had the team, the knowledge to do so and to help these animals and the dedication, the twenty four hours a day, people mm -hmm. coming in on their days off, working overnights, mm -hmm. things like that. Um, because similarly, the people that work there are all people that are just die hard there to um, save the animals. So yeah, I mean, I, I worked with the killer whales and you have never seen like the attention, the care. I mean, someone could pick up a phone and just be like, I think this whale is swimming funny today. And a veterinarian is down there to have a look and an assessment. Yeah, they, so I did a couple internships there and their care was just, I've never been to a, a cleaner facility or more of a, oh, yeah. like a strict protocol. I remember one time cause I, my internship was with the killer whales down in, down in San Antonio. And one of the trainers was talking like if, and they had these big Alaskan King salmon and they were like, if any of these salmon touches the floor, like, you know, we, 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 we just have to toss it basically. Like their, their care was so strict. And I remember she was talking and this giant mm -hmm. salmon giant salmon slipped out of her hands and hit this crystal clean floor. And she's like, darn it, we're going to have to toss it. And I thought that always stuck with me because I was like, oh my God, they are so strict and serious. And this is like, after we got done scrubbing the floors, scrubbing the fish scales, like they were so strict. And, um, 
followed so many protocols. That's always stuck with me. Oh, it's impeccable. I so much so that while I was working there, I was very happy that I was on the veterinary side and never had to do any sort of fish prep or anything like that oh, because that I would go by those rooms. And I mean, you have so many people in there going mm -hmm. through all the fish and then exactly. And then by the time I leave from, you know, a vet appointment or something, it is crystal clean, like phenomenal. <laughs> yeah. That's the worst. Scrubbing those metal buckets yeah. with fish scales. That is I'm, I never awful. had to do that. I got oh. out. <laughs> I was lucky. So you were there working with Orcas. Did you work with Tilikum? Um, he was there, yes, um, while I was there. Yep. So Tilikum um, was the whale who famously killed trainer Dom Brancho back in 2010, mm -hmm. and he sparked blackfish. So he was a killer whale. They focused on blackfish. What was that like? I mean, it was amazing to see him. Um, and he actually passed away while I was there. Oh, shoot. Um, so... Yeah, so towards the end, um, he had a lot of veterinary care. And it's it's really amazing to see. He had, I mean, he had many, many protocols, um, many people of how he was handling them, who was allowed to be with him, um, the vets that worked with him. Um, so, yeah, so it was a very small group of people. It was very much regulated. Um, but we were down there a lot because they were doing really everything they could for him. Wow. And... That didn't, I mean, because I'm sure you saw blackfish. You weren't, I don't know, I'm just curious, like, what that was like. Because you're looking at this infamous oh. whale who's been responsible for killing three people. And I just, I mean, no, I No, I, no, that never really, um, not that that doesn't affect someone, but, okay, so I'm a new person working there. I'm sure. generally new in the field. I'm very young. You have people that worked at, have worked at SeaWorld almost like their whole lives. Yeah. And they have been around for all of these things. And then to still um, have so much care for all of these animals um, and especially for, for Tilikum. Um, so you walk into these people that have cared for this well forever, have been friends with people throughout the years, Don included, um, and to to really care for this animal and, and know the difference of of being upset for a loss and then caring for this orca who need, who needs help, who is here, who's under your, your care and attention. And, um, yeah, it was very much seen, seen as that it was seen as I think separate, like in my, in, for me personally, I guess, um, you have an animal when, when you have an animal as a zoological facility, it's 100% your business and your job to give them the absolute best. Yeah, I just, so I have a friend who still works at SeaWorld. She's one of like a top senior aquarist at one of the parks. Mm -hmm. And she, it got to the point after Blackfish where she ha couldn't, she had to take like a separate shirt to put over her uniform to go into like stores mm -hmm. after SeaWorld. She said that she could not go anywhere with her SeaWorld uniform without being just completely bombarded and attacked. Is that what how you were? I had a little bit of that. Um yeah, I actually distinctly remember. Like I said, it's the only thing I'll ruin a good time about. Sure. And I was at the grocery store and I was in my scrubs. So I, I wore I wore blue scrubs and it mm. had a SeaWorld emblem. And I was checking out and the girl was like, oh, you work for SeaWorld? And I was like, yeah. And in Florida, it's kind of like being in Orlando. It's hit or miss. You have people that are like, oh, that's amazing because they, they understand the work. They're familiar with the work. Yeah. Um, or you have someone that's like, oh, that's so sad. And so I'm always like, why? 
And and then they say something that I literally, I don't know if you've seen this. It was like something on the onion, something very strange where um, it was a Photoshop picture of whales in bags, like essentially in like a goldfish bag, which is obviously um, like impossible. Like it is the worst Photoshop photo ever. And she brought that up. Yeah. Oh, oh, like, oh, because she thought it was real? Because she thought it was real. Oh, yes. shoot. Because she thought it was real. And I was like, what? And she goes, it's just horrible. It's done there. And I um, I held up that grocery store line. <laughs> yeah. As as politely as I as I could and informative and educational. Um, and I think that's what happens is you have something that's like, oh, blackfish. And then people are like, that's bad. And then you have people that legitimately think that killer whales are able to be put into goldfish bags. Oh, everyone (laughs) has an opinion. So I'm dealing with that right now. This is just a complete side note and tangent, but it's current for Mm -hmm. me. So we just moved our alligators, as you know, and the more and more my videos are seen, especially on TikTok, we have a video of our alligator being released into the pool. And I think it's at like 270,000 views, but everybody and their mom has an opinion. And I had to release a statement towards the haters. And I just, cause everyone's like, Oh, that's so sad. Oh, they're not in the wild. Oh, this. and, And it's just like, everyone has an opinion. They have no idea about alligators or care and it sometimes it makes me so sad like someone literally wrote me i think this is on youtube and because you know we built this thousand square foot facility this giant 38 foot long pool and someone like wrote me and was like that was the biggest waste of money like you should be ashamed of yourself and you just get i just like you get so frustrated because all you want to do you're just trying your best for these animals and i'm sure that's how oh, some yeah. of these sea world people feel like i'm not there harming them like no it's not yeah. the wild like i literally wrote and said it's not the wild no it is not perfect but we are doing everything we can to... exactly yeah i just i don't feel like you're ever going to please anybody no you're not and i think um there's some people that i've learned to not bother with so i I worked there till 2017 and then I lived in England and in England, they don't have any, um, cetaceans, any whales or dolphins in human care. So that's like their normal, their lot. And so when I talk about my work, I never shy away from the fact that I've worked at SeaWorld and it's almost 100% negative feedback, um, Mm -hmm. from people I meet in the UK. And I start talking to them about it and I'm like, okay. I was like, well, you know, like SeaWorld, all of their rehab and their rescue that they do, mm. um, they're able to do that because we have the people and we have the facilities, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, in the UK, if an animal strands and there's nowhere to take care of it, what do you think happens to it? And there are literally people that have said, well, I think it's better that it dies. Yeah. And I'm like, if you think that, then there's no point in me like furthering this conversation with you. Um, (sighs) Especially when, I mean, the goal is of rehab is always release is always brought back to the wild. And then what's amazing is that if they are not able to be released and able to still have a long life, there are facilities in the United States, not just SeaWorld that can handle them and care for them and give them an interactive full life. Yeah. They, yeah. Yeah, and even, and I know that there were talks, I don't think they're going to do this anymore, just financially it's too much, but you know, to expand the orca tanks, I don't even know if they're still doing that, but that was something they were planning to do, this big PR move, SeaWorld, to create Mm -hmm. more of a 
naturalistic giant habitat. But I think even if they did that, it's still not going to help them. You're not going to change anyone's opinions. It's still not going to be big enough. You're not going to change anyone's mind. No. Um, and then you, and it's hard too, because I feel like a lot of the people that are like, they just need to be released. These are people that don't know anything about animals or animal care or the transition of, of animals from a facility to, to the wild or the threats that are in the wild, the diseases, the lack of food, etc. So I think a lot of it is almost a pointless argument, one that I will always have, but it's people aren't educated in the field, have never worked for animals, have never actually worked or seen the behind the scenes of these facilities. And that's what's my favorite. It's like, well, I've never cared enough to do any of this, but you, you've dedicated your whole life and you're a monster. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. And by the way, if you want to hear more of a SeaWorld discussion, I did an interview with Mark Simmons. He was a former trainer and he actually was on the project with Keiko, the famous free Willy well. Mm-hmm. And you could go check that out. Listeners, feel free to check that and listen to it because he talks about how, you know, animal activists, they were so pressured to release Keiko, this killer whale, the famous free Willy yeah. well. They put Keiko out in the wild. They gave this these activists what they wanted, and Keiko died this long, drawn-out yeah. death. It is the most heartbreaking story of... He said it's like the biggest case of animal abuse that he's ever witnessed. Like, he just talks about this, and it, it was so sad hearing him talk about this. Like, Keiko wanted to be around humans. It's all he knew. He And they literally just left him to go and he died this slow, lonely death, died of pneumonia. He was starved. It was horrific. Yeah. And people will bring that up to me as a good thing. No, that's my, yeah. And, and, and that's why it's so hard that people have this outlook and they don't actually know things because people are like, well, you can release them. They did it with the free Willy will. And I'm like, do you know what happened? No, yeah. And they're like, he got to live in the ocean. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> well, that, and, and then I guess they can also say, well, because I think it was over a year he was out there before he died, but it was a very slow death. It wasn't yeah. It wasn't a quick, you know, oh, he was swimming, he was with his family, then he died. It was a very, he was always trying to get around people. He They couldn't get him away from people. He was ousted by the other killer whales. He was just lonely and confused. Yes. Yeah. It's super, it's super sad. And I think that's it. That's what's unfortunate about the big pushback and the, and the backlash from um, Blackfish is that it's hurting, you know, SeaWorld, the company that spends so much of that money and time and resources on bettering wild populations. Mm -hmm. And that's going to like this whole thing and, and people not knowing not doing proper research not being educated not listening to the actual like animal experts um it's just gonna hurt more animals in the long run yeah and i think organizations evolved too because i don't know i mean with them capturing the wells and what they did back in the 70s like no i don't agree with that i you know i don't even think SeaWorld would agree with that and maybe i'm going down this rabbit hole but they don't do it anymore <laughs> okay. i know seriously exactly. though, well, exactly. they don't do and it that's anymore what people say they're like well, they, like whales were taken, and people bring that up about um, would bring that up about tilikum. But sure. SeaWorld never took tilikum; they Got rescued him. him from a facility. Yeah, that yeah. he was doing poorly at, and so um, exactly, and and exactly, and, and then they'll bring up things from like the nineteen like sixties, 
And like, do you realize what year we are in now and like what we have now Mm -hmm. and how much like this can be put towards good and the difference in care and the difference of how everything is done versus 60 years ago? Yeah. And I also want to say being from Idaho, a landlocked state, I never, (laughs) I never experienced the ocean or marine animals and growing up as a kid going to SeaWorld that just opened my mind to these amazing animals. I don't think without visiting there, I would have been really aware of killer whales. I mean, maybe like seeing a brief documentary, but I feel like those facilities, I really feel like it. Yeah. So I bring that up to a lot of people. Um, like people don't care about what they don't know about. Yeah. And going to zoos and aquariums and seeing something, you could show a kid a video with a lion but you take him and he gets to see a lion. Uh-huh. He maybe grows up and wants to help save lions. Like that's, I'm exhibit A of, of that and being able to see. And like, like I said, I'd never heard of a manatee and literally going to this facility and learning that humans were the reason that they were endangered, like changed my life. And now I don't work with zoo animals anymore. I work in emergency um, vet medicine and I work in an ICU and a specialty hospital uh-huh. and now I get to use all I've learned and done and like that helps save your pets you know like people go on to do these amazing things because they learn to care about it and you don't care about it if you don't get to see it I love that is it hard for you so you left SeaWorld and you said your husband your husband is the one who travels so you literally have to go with him correct yeah, so we we spent about five years apart um, okay. while I was kind of doing all of while we were dating and I was doing all of these and then he moved to England for work. Um, so when we got married, I moved as well. Um, and I we were living in Cambridge, England, so I didn't get to work um, with anything there. Um, I did get my British veterinary nursing license and I worked in, um, a very adorable, um, village practice with dogs and cats. So it was, yeah, it was interesting because I left SeaWorld and then I went and worked there. Honestly, I was happy to work. I was very proud of getting my British veterinary nursing license. That was not an easy feat. Um, so I was happy to do that. And then just still just happy to do like veterinary care. And we got to live in England. So did you like that's that? something to be sad about? Oh my gosh. I loved it. I it was amazing. It, I heard it rains all the time and it's miserable. I loved the weather. Really? And I, yeah. And I'm someone that loves the heat. Like I love the South, but I loved the weather in England. I didn't mind it at all. The summers oh. were lovely. Nice 70 degrees. Um, the winters never got that cold. And as gr- someone that grew up in Boston, like oh, I was yeah. anticipating just like the frigid cold. Uh-huh. No, it would snow enough to be pretty for like a couple hours and then go away. And it was like in the forties or fifties. And yes, it was dreary occasionally Uh but not all the time and what's better than like walking down the street and dreary weather and like going to a pub and sitting next to a fireplace to have a pint it was pretty charming that does (laughs) did you ever see the queen or the royal family is that something you have to do (laughs) so i did not ever lay eyes on them but i have many friends who lived there americans who did who um like would go to um what would they do on christmas day one of their estates, they like walk down a path and like say uh-huh. hello. And so new, a couple of my friends have seen the Royal family numerous times oh um, and have these really amazing pictures. I, not that I'm above it, 
would have loved to, but I never like made it around to that. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, Danielle, we're nearing up to an hour yeah. and you have, oh my gosh, we probably haven't touched on a lot of things, but you've done <laughs> so much. You have any advice, uh, last minute advice for anybody who wants to pursue the, a career in this field, being a vet technician? Um, yeah, my favorite advice to give people is you cannot stay in one place. You have to move. You have to go where the jobs are and you have to take the internships, the temporary jobs, the part-time jobs um, to get where you need to go. A lot of people, I think they live in a town that has a zoo and they're like, I'm going to volunteer here and then I'm going to get a job here. And maybe that happens sometimes for people, but I moved all around the country um, just even for a two day, three day a week job. um, And that definitely made all the difference. Yeah, absolutely. And be open to opportunities. And, mm-hmm. Oh, man. That yeah. sounds amazing. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Once we are, I don't know when we're going to be done with this COVID thing, but once we're done, <sighs> I would love to invite you out and come and see the animals and, you know, because I know you don't work with a lot of exotics anymore. So, yeah, that would be amazing. I is, would love it. Is that hard, by the way? I just, it'd be so hard going from now crocodiles and manatees <laughs> to seeing like fufu and. I don't know. Yeah. Cats and dogs. Um, it is a little bit. It was very hard at first. Mm-hmm. It was very hard at first. But then I had the upside of finally getting to live in the same place as my husband, which was very nice. Okay. Traveling Europe. So it kind of like made up for a lot of it. And now what I do, um, working in like the ER and the ICU, like it's so intense that like I love it. Like, I don't know. I, I might like it just as much because it still brings like that energy and that excitement and like the level of like pressure that happens with a lot of exotics because you know everything is kind of like a little not touch and go but is a little more um moving parts when you work with exotic animals and i kind of get that with emergency so i'm pretty happy now that's awesome and i live in idaho which is shockingly amazing isn't it great? I hate it's really great. <laughs> more and more people are finding out about it and it's just like, ah, don't come here. I know. It's beautiful here. It's absolutely beautiful. Anyway, all right. Danielle, thank you. Thank you so much. I wish you the best. Hope to I I, I will see you. I promise we'll get together. Yes. <laughs> you get to hang out with some of my exotics. But thank you so much for your time. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends and family. Also, if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. It really helps me out. As always, if you have any guest suggestions, if you want to email me personally, head on over to CorbinMaxi.com. And if you haven't already, check out our social channels. You can follow me at CorbinMaxi on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll talk to you next time.